0: Take your Bibles this morning. Everything seems really low up there. I don't know if we're phasing or something over here. Take your Bibles and make your way to Matthew's Gospel this morning, chapter 6. And uh, what you're going to find is something probably familiar to all of us. Matthew chapter 6. I want to talk to you today on this idea of continuing in the Heaven Matters series. on earth as it is in heaven. Where's that come from, folks? Lord's Prayer. Lord's prayer. Right. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer, matter of fact, as we begin this morning. Father, it's good to be back home uh, amongst your people that you've called us to be a part of. And I, I'm so appreciative of these folks sitting in this room today. I pray that you would give all of us ears to hear, just kind of like what happened in our D group this morning. You opened our ears to hear your word. And we know there's some things that we've got to, through your spirit, work on and adjust our lives to. And we and we ask for that same grace to be evident in here today, um, that you would open our eyes and ears to not just receive your truth, but to act on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Question. What was... The main message or theme of Jesus preaching and teaching that that we have recorded in the Gospels. Who said that? That's exactly right, Linda. It's I didn't think someone's going to get that in the first round. So good, you should get some kind of prize. <laughs> oh, she already has. She has Tom. Oh, wow. We're well, moving right along. <laughs> We might have to get right to the scriptures. But uh, yeah, it's the kingdom. That's all he preached. And matter of fact, there was, he had a cousin. Anyone remember Jesus' cousin's name? John. He, he was known as John the Baptizer. And later on, we'd be, just call him John the Baptist. But he was the baptizer. And what did he preach? Repent for the kingdom, kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's right here, folks. It's coming. All Jesus preached was the kingdom. All that his predecessor who paved the way for the Messiah preached was the kingdom. So, do you think the kingdom matters? You say, yes it does, but preacher, what's that got to do with the series on heaven? Everything. I find that until and unless we have a a grasp of what the kingdom of God or other times that it's called the kingdom of what? Heaven. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, because heaven is where God is, right? Where the throne of God is. Literally, the physical presence of God is this place called heaven. One of the questions that you all turned in, that was, I think, one of the better questions, was um, where is heaven? And I'm not going to deal with that today. There are actually some interesting Thoughts on that, uh, and some of them are good inferences from Scripture that we can, we will look at together. But where is heaven? Um, we can't say for one hundred percent sure where heaven is, but we can say one hundred percent confidence that heaven exists. Amen. And it's where God's throne is. So we'll talk about that. But for now, we need to understand. We need to have a basic understanding of the kingdom of heaven. Um. In order to understand heaven itself and it amazes me it amazes me and uh pastor jay you you know this too doing you you do a lot of funerals for the funeral homes you work for as as do i and apparently i don't know if y'all know this there's there must have been an addition to the new testament somewhere that i'm not aware of but apparently pastor jay all you got to do to get to heaven is die Right. All you got to do to go to heaven is die because all these people who have never darkened the door of a church their entire adult life. When you ask the family about their background and their faith tradition, they say, oh, they believed in God. They're, they're in heaven now. Um, and, and here's the reality of that. When we under this is why what I'm going to share with you this morning is important. We have got to come to understand heaven as as the continuation, if not even the culmination of something that Jesus exclusively preached, which was the kingdom. Here's my point to that and why it's so frustrating and why you and I have to do a better job in, in sharing the kingdom of heaven with people in the gospel, right? Is this, if you had zero desire to enjoy the kingdom of heaven while you were on earth, what makes you think you would enjoy it for all of eternity? Did y'all hear that? It amazes me. People have zero time for God. They have zero taste for God. What was it that Jesus said to Peter after he commended him for telling him, saying that he was the Messiah? Jesus said, well, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and, you know, I'm going to die. And Peter said, no, you're not. (laughs) That's a bad paraphrase. He said, matter of fact, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to... Death and 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 Jesus. Right after he pats Peter on the back, he says to Peter, "Get behind me, what, Satan?" And here's what he said. I'm going to use the Old King James, which I'm memorizing. For thou savorest not the things of God. What's that mean? Uh, literally, you have no taste buds whatsoever for the things of God. You have no taste for it. and And so many people live their entire life, have zero taste for God and for His kingdom, and yet they think, I've ignored God, I've ignored the law of God, I've ignored the Son of God, I've ignored His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension my entire life, and yet I want to go be with Him forever. That's where I'm going to go when I die. Let's, let's just go back to Sesame Street, shall we? where they say, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> Amen? Amen? So we need a little bit of a tutorial, if you will, on the kingdom. Are you in Matthew chapter 6? All right, one of you. Join me then in verse number 5, when Jesus gives this model prayer. And when you pray, says Jesus, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Uh, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. And assuredly, I say to you, what do they have, church? They have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. Some translations say closet. I like that. And when you have shut the door, indicating that, who's the only person that's going to see? You and God. When you have shut the door, pray to your Father, who is in the secret place. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you how? Openly. And when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, don't be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of, even before you ask Him. Anybody glad about that? Someone might say, then why are we asking Him if He already knows? Because He's ordained prayer as the means to get you to understand that he is the giver of all good things. Then we come into this prayer. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want to focus our attention for just a few minutes this morning before we take communion together. I want to focus your attention on verse 10. On verse 10. But in order to get there, let me back up to verse 9. As he tells us how to pray, he starts off with this first word. What's the first word, church, of the prayer? Hour Seems to me that even it's interesting, but he just tells them when you pray, where are you supposed to do the majority of your praying by yourself? But he says, but here's how you pray. What? hour? Is Jesus not understanding basic grammar agreement of nouns? I don't think that's the case. But what I think this is, and I've said this before, is that this hour makes you realize that I'm not the only one praying. A couple other people praying. Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and reprays them for us. Anybody glad that he does that? Because we have no idea what we're saying. So we're we're, we're so we're like Judah something. We're just so young and immature in the things of God. that sometimes, can I just say it? Sometimes we pray some stupid things. Do we not? Also, your brothers and sisters are praying. They're just not with you. Physically at the time. So our, our what? Father. That's a very specific term there. And this is a very specific kind of father. This is a father who is where? In heaven. So this is not your earthly father. It is your heavenly father. And that word father gives us the idea of source. He's the one from whom we all come. We owe our existence to God the Father right? And he's in heaven. He's not just mine. He's also yours. He's my brother's and sister's father. It's a family. We talked about that this morning in D Group. Then he says this. This is the first request. "Hallowed, Hallowed be your what name? And that just means holy. Lord, here's my first request because I'm involved with you and you've called me to this. I want to keep your name what? holy i want to honor your name so here's my statement here the next request the second request is the ybh of the first request and the third request is the ybh of the second said, so what are you saying here's the first request hallowed be i want to keep your name holy how, how am i going to do that the second request what is it your kingdom Come, it's an invitation for the rule and reign of God to show up in your life. How do I keep God's name holy? How do I not, as, as, as uh, uh, the third commandment says, how do I not drag God's name through the mud? Carry God's name lightly is literally the import of that commandment. How do I not do that? I invite the rule and reign of God to manifest itself in my life. Does that make sense? It's not hard, is it? And then the third request, your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. That's how the kingdom comes. You see the progression here? That's the yeah, but how of that one. So these all work into each other. So here's step one. Let me share this with you. I'm I'm going to try to be brief today. I may fail, but I'm going to do my best. Step number one is request that the kingdom of God show up or manifest itself in you. And here's the kicker. It's on the screen and mean it and mean it. So what are you doing? You are inviting the rule and the reign of God in, over, and through your life as you pray. But here's the thing. You need to mean it. And we talked about this in our D group this morning. There was a lot of ouch moments in there. (laughs) We, we, We realized that we got some repenting to do. Why? Because we looked into God's word and we realized there's some stuff in there that we're not doing real well. Anybody with me this morning? I know the guys in class are with me and we need to we need to address that. It's inviting the kingdom of God to show up and show out in our life and to truly mean it. Not empty words. Heartfelt words. Colossians 1.13, jot that reference down. It's, he says this, He has delivered us, this is God, has delivered us from the power of darkness. Now check this out. And where has He conveyed us? Where has He moved us into? And conveyed us, notice this little word, into, into what? The kingdom of the Son of His love. This is a description, this is excuse me, this is a first century description of what happens when a person is born again, when a person is saved, when a person is regenerated through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What happens? He is literally, we are literally rescued out of the power of darkness. How many of you know that before you came to Christ, you were in the kingdom of darkness and under its power? Amen? Amen? I mean, my wife was very young when she came to Christ. But I'm going to tell you what, even as that little four or five-year-old girl that came, to, she was rescued out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred, it's a transfer of realm, into the kingdom of the Son of His love. God loves the Son. And because He loves us, we are as we are placed into the Son, that love for Christ, for Jesus the Son, is now transferred to who? Or shared to who? To me and to you. So this is a kingdom transfer that has happened. So the next question is, is a, that follows from this is, what is the kingdom? A lot of different definitions, right? What is the kingdom? Here it is. The kingdom is, is God's people in God's what? Place under god's rule and blessing did you get it what you say that with me the kingdom is god's people in god's place under god's rule and blessing that's the kingdom of god and by the way this is nothing new it's been around forever since the beginning of time actually here's another i like this definition too and i'm going to come back to this in a minute But a a kingdom is the governing influence of a king over a territory. Impacting that territory, listen to this, with his will, purpose, and intent, producing a culture and a moral standard for his citizens. Is this starting to dawn on you? So what's this got to do with heaven? Everything. Earth is rehearsal. We are in the kingdom of God right here, right now, and we are rehearsing for the culmination of that kingdom, which will come when God makes everything new. We are literally in practice for the new heaven and the new earth that's coming. God has got us in training for the the fruition and the culmination of his kingdom one day. Do Do we think about our lives like that? are our lives attached to this earth, which is going to be remade and resurrected very differently from what it is today. So let me give you an example. Go back to that definition. The kingdom is God's people and God's place under God's rule and blessing. Let me show you that this is not a new concept. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. Who were God's people? Adam and Eve. What was God's place? Eden. Right. The Garden of Eden, by the way, really interesting um, word, Eden. Um, It literally speaks of a place, a moment in time with an open door to the very presence of God. Literally, that's what I mean. There's five different strokes that make up that word. And the last stroke means delightful. (laughs) Isn't that great? Isn't that great? A delightful was a delight to be have an open door to the presence of God. That was the place. And what was God's rule and blessing? God said when he had it all done and, and Eve finally showed up, he said, behold, it was very good. So what can, what can we say about God's rule and blessing, church? That when it, is, when it is being enjoyed, it is very good. And you know what I wish today? I wish you and I believed that. I wish I believed that more and acted on it more. That God's rule and blessing is very good. But what happened in that garden? Well, they were kicked out. They were expelled due to rebellion. They didn't want God's rule and blessing. By the way, here's a a hard fact, church. No bowing to God equals no blessing from God. You don't submit to God, don't expect His blessing. It's just true. So we move forward. We fast forward to a guy named Abraham. We actually call him what? Father Abraham. Why do we call him Father? Because from him came the nation of Israel, right? So Father Abraham and his family, that was God's people. Um, what was God's place in that time? It was the promised land. And what was God's rule and blessing was well, something that we call the Mosaic law. God gave to his people his law and said, this is how you're to live. What happened with that? Well, where our first parents were were expelled, these guys were exiled. I think that's almost worse than being expelled. They were sent to other nations to live in slavery. Because here's the reality. Rebellion against God equals rejection by God. And boy, did Israel learn that the hard way. She really did. Here's a beautiful quote from one of our church fathers. Thomas Kramer said this, that we may obtain that which thou dost promise, make us love that which thou dost command. Isn't that true? It's the only way to receive it. Well, let's fast forward and come to today. We have Christ bursts onto the scene, the Messiah, the one that all of history is pointing to and culminating around. He is crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now, God's people are who? The saints. It's you and I. It's the Right? And God's place is the church. His people is His place, uh, which is the church. And God's rule and blessing is the new covenant. As the first century Christians called it, the Brit Hadashah. The new covenant. The new relationship to the fulfillment of the Old Testament. This is God's reign over His people. And it's for their good and His glory. Amen? For their good. By the way, God's glory is your gain. And you that's another thing you and I have got to become convinced of. God's glory is my gain. So the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in reality is already here. And it's expanding to its full expression, which will culminate in the return of Christ. Now, that statement, I don't think we really understand. I really don't. I don't think we get that. I don't think you understand what I'm saying. Here's the point simplified. When I, read, when I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even Acts, I hear one message. And the message is, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Everything Jesus preaches is the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, and kingdom. And I was taught in my training that that kingdom is still in the future it's still in the future Um, now these theologians know that that can't be exactly true there's no way that's exactly true so they've come up with a phrase to satisfy themselves and they call it the already not yet kingdom you all ever heard this and what they really focus on is the not yet never the already They always talk about, well, yeah, we're, it's here, but not really, because it's not going to really be here for real until Jesus shows up. Read this book and tell me where you see that. I don't see it. Everything Jesus preached was the kingdom is here, I'm here, the kingdom's here, the kingdom's at hand, it's here, it's here, it's here. How is it that the kingdom was here when Jesus walked the earth, but when he, when he went to sit by the right hand of the Father in glory, it's, he took it with him? No, He left it here for us to expand through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's it's here. It's here right now. Now, is it going to be different than now in the future? Yeah. How? Please don't miss this. Through your efforts and my efforts being obedient to the Holy Spirit. We're going to expand the kingdom together. That's how it's going to be different. So it is an already, and it is a not yet, but I think we need to be focusing on the already, the part that we're living in. Because I can't do anything about the not yet until I do something about the already. We've got to get our heads out of the sand and realize that God's called us to do something with Him. Here's how, you say, well, can that be rejected? Sure it can. Here's what St. Augustine said. Augustine said this, God is reigning now. But just as light is absent to those refusing to open their eyes, so it is possible to refuse God's rule. Some people are blind, willingly blind, and they refuse God's rule. Philip Reichen put it this way. The kingdom comes mainly through proclamation, through the announcement that Christ, who was crucified, is now king. The only way people ever come into God's kingdom is by hearing His heralds proclaim a crucified king. Amen? That's what I'm trying to do this morning. I'm trying to be a herald of God proclaiming a crucified king. Was crucified, buried, risen again, is ascended at the right hand of power right now. And He's called you and I to join Him. And by the way, beloved, that was not optional. It wasn't join me if you want. It's join me if you're with me. We gotta start asking ourselves some of those hard questions. So the kingdom of heaven, it is the realm within which the will of God is a reality. God created you, God created me, God created mankind in his what? Image. In his image. To do what? To administrate that extension through the program that God calls dominion. What did God say to Adam? Hey, I made all this stuff, and guess who's in charge? You are. You, you are my appointed program to organize all these things that I've created. You're my guy. Right? Now notice what God's plan was, God's goal. And we see it right here in verse number 10. First, it's your kingdom come, and then it's what? Your will be done. God's goal, don't miss this, was to fill earth with the culture of heaven. Did you get that? Here's what kingdoms do. They colonize. God's goal here was to fill earth with the culture of heaven. How do I I invite the kingdom of God to show up in my life? I'm glad you asked. That's the next request in the prayer. Your kingdom come. Well, what's that look like, Lord? Here's what it looks like. (laughs) Lord, I want your will, what you want, to, to manifest in my life just as your will is perfectly executed in your very throne room. You think anybody says no to God in his presence in the throne room? That happened one time, and God kicked him and a third of the angels out with him. Nobody says no to God. God has obeyed how in heaven? Absolutely and perfectly. What are we saying? How do, I, how do we manifest and, and bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth? It's not happening unless it happens through you and through me. And we invite God to say, God, I want to do your will in my everyday life. Not just on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. As if I'm right in your presence, which, by the way, a little caveat there, you are. We are seated in the heavenlies, Paul says, in Christ Jesus right now. Something called me is there already. That's how this can get pulled off in its, in its fullness. So we have this idea that God's goal was to fill the earth with the culture of heaven. What happens in the, king, in the kingdom shows up in the colony. Colony. Did y'all get that? Whatever happens in the kingdom shows up in the colony. That's the territory. Now, we used to be a colony, didn't we? United States of America. Before we were the United States of America, we were the colonies in the new world, right? But we didn't care for that. And that's why, honestly, I think as Americans, we're at a little bit of a disadvantage. Because we don't understand how this works. Nor do we want to understand Because we're fiercely independent. But a kingdom colonizes a territory. It fills it with the culture of the kingdom. Listen to this. Until the colony looks exactly like the kingdom. He said, do we have an example of this? Yes. I'm so glad you asked. Has anybody here ever been to the Bahamas? Anyone? I've been to the Bahamas. Very warm place. Nice sand. Sandy beaches. The Bahamas is a colony. Uh, or it was a colony, of of what nation? The Kingdom of Great Britain, right? Weirdest thing. I went by a cruise ship, which probably most of you did. You get off that cruise ship, and without understanding that the Bahamas were ruled by England for 259 years. By the way, that's a long time. 259 years. You figure out real quick, this island is not like any of these others that we've been on. Why? First of all, they drive on the wrong side of the road. Right? Their steering wheels are on the wrong side of the car from what we're used to. When you talk to these people, um, they sound like they're from England. They have a British accent. They wear shorts with suit jackets, and it's 300 degrees outside. They drink tea four times a day. What, what, what has happened? What happened in the kingdom of Great Britain is manifestor shows up in the colony of the Bahamas. What's happened is, even though the Bahamas are now an independent nation of their own, the, the, the effect of 259 years of rule by Great Britain has not yet been shaken. They still talk like England. They drive on the wrong side of the street like England. They dress in the dress of England, and they drink tea four times a day as though it were. It's like visiting a warm, sunny England, and England is neither of those two things, by the way. What happened? The culture of the kingdom infected and affected and effected the culture of the colony. What's that got to do with anything? Listen, what should we pray for? Our Father, who is not on earth, but is in a distant country, heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom, what? Come, your will be done on earth as it is where? In the faraway country of heaven. Now listen to me. Do you notice in this prayer, Jesus never tells his guys to pray that they will go to heaven. I, I, I don't see it. I'm a C-minus student, but I don't see it. No, but he does tell them to pray, not for them to go to heaven, but that heaven will come to where? Earth. Amen. And I believe that the church has reversed God's program. We've been preoccupied with preparing people to leave earth when we've been instructed to expand the kingdom of heaven on the earth. Jesus did not tell us to get people to heaven. Jesus commanded us to get heaven to people. And we haven't been doing that. And then we wonder what the problem is. Why we're not growing. Why we're not expanding God's kingdom. Real quick, let me me move on to this idea of God's will be done in this colony of earth as it is in the kingdom throne room of heaven. This is a lordship request. Lordship. Um, I bet you all haven't used that word this week, probably. Some of you might have, but I doubt it. It's not in our everyday conversation. Again, think, just think about this for a minute. As Americans, this stuff does not play well to us, does it? Because we're so fiercely independent. I'm the king of me. There's no king over me. I've got news for you. If you bow the knee to Jesus, there is a king over you, and he's a king over everything. He's the king over the White House, and he's the king over your house. And he demands your fealty and obedience. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm going to hit this quick, and I wish there was more time, but there's not. And, and, and with what I'm trying to get across to you about heaven and the kingdom of heaven, it's not necessary. But when we hear the will of God, what do you think of? Don't we almost always think of the next big decision? We got, should I move or should I stay? Should I marry this girl or that girl? Uh, you know, what should I do? And asking God for the unknowns, right? That's not what's meant here. We have to understand God's will, as there are actually two wills of God. You say, God's got two wills? Yeah, I really think he does. And here's my explanation. The first will of God is the big will of God, and you don't have to pray for it. Why? The big will of God is everything that happens. It's the decreed will of God. For example, let's go all the way back to the beginning. When God said, let there be light, what happened? There was light. God said it and what? There it is. That's the big will of God. So how do I know the big will of God? If it happens, you say, well, wait a minute, there's a lot of bad stuff happens. You're telling me that's God's will? That's a sermon for another day. But yes, absolutely. You say, well, there's a lot of sinful things that happen. That sin can't be the will of God. Really? You think so? Was it a sin to rip out the beard of the, of the Son of God who was sinless? Was it? Was that a sinful action? To tear the flesh from the body of the Lamb of God? Was that a sinful thing? You better believe it was. And yet, and yet, the Scriptures tell us in Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to what? Bruise Him, to crush Him. He hath put Him to grief. God used that sin in a sinless fashion. The big will of God. Just jot these down. Ephesians 1, 11, the last part, says God works all things together according to the counsel of His will. God, What does that mean? It means God does what He wants to do. Psalm 115, 3, jot that one down. It says, but our God is in heaven and He does whatever He pleases. And He always does it sinlessly. So there's this big will of God. But here's a second one. This is is what this particular word will is talking about. I just call it the Bible will of God. So you got the big will of God, and that's whatever happens. It's God's big will, and he uses sin sinlessly. All right? But then there's the Bible will of God. Think Ten Commandments. Think specific statements in Scripture. For example, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says this. For this is the will of God. You ready for this? Here's, here, we know this is the will of God. Your sanctification. He wants us to look just like Jesus. And here's an example of that sanctification. Check it out. That you should abstain from, what's it say? Sexual immorality. You know how many people ignore that? You know how many people are involved in sexual immorality this week? Today? And yet God said, don't do it. And we turn around and what? Do it. This is is the Bible will of God. Jesus was talking here about this Bible will of God. That which can and all too often is rebelled against. And what he's saying is, that commanded will, let that show up in my life. Just like I was if I were in heaven. Here's step two embrace God's perfect will. And here's the key to that nothing held back. We got to stop holding back. We got to stop holding out on God. We got to stop doing that. We got to be wholehearted. We got we to trust God with everything. Here's what the scriptures say in Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God, there it is again. The kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, what is it? It's not eating and drinking. What? But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness. As God answers this specific prayer, the church will be very acutely, uh, acutely aware of these three things. Number one is righteousness. Righteousness. What is righteousness? First of all, it's a declaration by God of our standing. It's imputed, which means God declares us right through the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. We get Christ's record and he gets what? Ours. Imputed righteousness always leads to external or practical holiness. Practical, lived out regularly, real world holiness. When God declares you to be right, the most amazing thing ought to happen you ought to start living according to your God's declaration over and in your life. Amen? That's a that's righteousness. That's what Paul says in Romans 14. Then there's peace. Did you know that peace is birthed from this practical holiness? Think about that. When we live out this righteous standing before God, what happens? I have, first of all, I have peace with God. And what happens when I have peace with God is that I tend to start having peace with my brothers and sisters. Do you see it? Righteousness, peace, and then it says joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you have joy in the Holy Spirit? Are you joy-filled this morning? You ought to be if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've been declared perfect, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ has been granted to you, you you ought to be at peace and full of joy. That's what the Scripture says. And the Scripture says that's the kingdom of God. That's what heaven is all about. This righteousness, this peace, and this joy. And explained that way, it makes you wonder why people wouldn't want to have that as part of their life, doesn't it? And yet so many don't. So many reject it until they die or they're close to die. Then they want it. Because they're not sure about tomorrow. Oh, and I want to say to you here today, if you're not sure about tomorrow, Would you please repent, turn away from your sin, and believe, put your faith in Jesus Christ as your king, as your rescuer, as your perfect substitute for your sin? He'll take all of your sin and he'll give you all of his righteousness. And then he'll help you to live that out of your everyday life. So here's the so what before we uh, go to communion and end today. Here's the first question it's fair. Are you God's people? Are you? If you're not God's people, you don't want heaven. That's not your kingdom. You're still in the kingdom of darkness. And there's so many people, even sitting in this room today, that probably, if we're to be honest about it, if we could like, I don't know how it would work, but if God could show us the reality, who's in the kingdom of darkness and who's in the kingdom of light and the love of His Son, we'd probably be surprised. We'd probably be surprised. You could be surprised? Are you God's people? Have you repented of your sin? If you have if you've rejected your sin and embraced your Savior, put your faith in what Jesus has done for you, not anything else? If you haven't, you're not God's people. Here's the next question. Are you living in God's place? What's that mean? Are you a member of God's church? That's his place right now. At the beginning, it was a garden. In the middle, it was a nation. And now it's a called out assembly of people called the church. Are you living in God's place? Are you living in fellowship and under the the protective umbrella of, of biblically qualified leaders in your life? And are you listening to them? Are you submitting Are you living under God's rule? Are you living according to this book right here? Are you daily inviting God to show up in your life and asking the Holy Spirit to give you the desire to follow Him? And are you enjoying God's blessings? Are you enjoying righteousness? Both imputed and practical. Do you have peace with God and with men and are you enjoying the joy of the holy spirit i worry about christians who say they're christians but they look like they've been baptized in embalming fluid like they're sucking on a sour pickle that's not how we ought to be bible says we ought to when we're living in the kingdom The one that's here and the one that's coming. We're filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Where is that joy, church? When's the last time you really had it? Oh, that we would get our eyes off of the temporary and fix them on the eternal. Oh, that we would stop trying to get people to heaven and start getting heaven to people, starting with us and starting with our homes, starting with this table which reminds us of God's program. I ask you today, I implore you to obey the gospel, to repent and believe it, to chase Christ for all he's worth, to invite the rule and reign of God into every aspect of every moment of every day of your life. And in doing so, we bring heaven to earth because heaven matters. And if you're here today and you, you say, Preacher, I don't know if I've really done that. You could do that right now. Matter of fact, you should do that right now. Right now, you should. And we're going to pray anyway. We're going to pray as before we receive the Lord's table. And your prayer ought to be, I am a sinner, Lord, and you know it and I know it. And I'm turning away from that sin. I'm sick of it. And I'm going to hold on to Jesus. I believe that Jesus died in my place as your son was buried was resurrected so that I can have his record as he has died for mine. And that's what I need to do. I'm In faith, I'm coming to you, rejecting my sin and accepting my Savior, Jesus. And I intend through your Holy Spirit to follow him and have this joy in my life every single day and the peace and the righteousness that shows up. That's me today. And that's what I'm coming to do. If you've never done that, I urge you to do that today. We're going to take a moment to let the Lord examine our hearts. As the scripture tells us to do before we take communion, and I'll give us a few instructions about what that will look like. We'll take communion, and then um, we will sing a song. And for those that can join us, we'd love for you to join us for our fellowship meal next door um, in just a moment. But let's take a moment and pray. Maybe you need to pray that prayer that invites king jesus to be the king of your life maybe you just need to pray at prayer of thanksgiving whatever it is heaven matters and the kingdom of heaven is brought through the son. let's let that holy spirit look into our lives and make our adjustments accordingly let's take a moment and pray Father, we come to you today thanking you for the gospel and praying that if there's someone here that has not responded through the, your Holy Spirit today to that gospel, that they would do it. They would do it right now and that they would know what they have done. Would you fill them with that righteousness, peace, and joy that are the fruit of kingdom living? May we pursue this kingdom as we pursue you. And may we live this out to the glory of King Jesus. And as we take these elements and remember his body, which was given for us, in which and through which he bore our sins on that cross, and the blood that was shed in order to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west, through this perfect sacrifice, Would you bring us into a holy remembrance of it? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're here today and uh, you have put your faith in Jesus and turned away from your sin and have been baptized, um, then I want to invite you to come and be a part of this table. Children are under the jurisdiction of parents, and I ask the parents to to govern that wisely. so our children that have put their faith in Christ and are walking in obedience to us, and, which is the will of God, and have been baptized, then would, it would be appropriate for them to enjoy this table. And those who are struggling and refusing to repent need not to. And that includes adults as well. No reason not to repent. But if you refuse, stay where you are uh, for the sake of your health and to honor King Jesus. Um, we're going to play a I think there's a video song. I forgot to tell you that, didn't I? Um, If it can plug that in and get that working, there's a video song. So we're going to start in the back with Pastor Jay in that row. You guys come on forward and get your elements. And then hold on to them, and then we'll, we'll take them together here at the end. You see it down there? Yeah. That'd be the volume on the computer, I don't know. take this bread we are reminded of it is to represent the body of Christ and in his body Peter tells us he bore our sins on that tree to turn us from sinner to saint to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we could come to the beginning of who he is to us in us and for us so let us eat and remember the body of Christ Of course, the cup represents the blood of Christ. And his blood doesn't just cover sin. Amen? It removes it. That's that's an amazing statement. far as the east is from the west, the Bible says so far has he removed our sins from us. And somehow, because of the preciousness of who Christ is, all the blood. I've been reading through Leviticus this week and to the word. That's a, that's a bloody book, man. We're talking gallons of blood in the temple. Gallons, hundreds, thousands of gallons of blood of animals. Regularly. Just to push that sin forward a year. Not with Jesus. His blood was shed one time and it's Enough. For God, what certainly makes it enough for us. May we drink and remember. Amen. Amen.